there aren't words. I've seen it a handful of times when we're woodcock hunting or something like that, but it, it's one of the greatest things. Actually working and training these dogs and spending so much time and energy on them and taking them out. And if we, we killed something one day or not, that's not a big deal. But seeing your hard work pay off and seeing seeing your dog have a good time is it, it's all worth it. Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT System Electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up StandingStoneSupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. We have yet another bittersweet into a bird camp here. We're currently wrapping up the, the grouse camp in Wisconsin, and I am joined with a couple buddies from afar that, that decided to drive up here from the southern route, I guess. Uh, we got Jacob Little, who has been on the podcast before from a few years ago when we did the South Dakota episode. And then I have my buddy, Zach Grant, who is from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he did a profile with us a while back. Guys, welcome back to the show, I should say. And it's been an adventure. We haven't had the longest camp in this particular stop in Wisconsin, but we've had a few stories pop up. Not all good either, but uh, welcome back to the show, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so, you know, when, when people go on hunting trips, sometimes things don't go as planned or as as we had hoped. And Zach, I'm going to go ahead and start with you because your adventure started on the way up here. So, why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself, what kind of dog you run, and just kind of lead us up to the point when you strike out on your grand adventure and where it went off the road, so to speak. We were planning on driving overnight. Everything was packed up, ready to go. Hit the road about 8 p.m., and I'm driving wide awake, just having a great drive. I hadn't had to stop yet, and then about 3 o'clock, going down the highway a deer just happened to be standing right in the middle of it and i swerved i slowed down and and still ended up hitting the deer a deer, a ran, deer ran off fine <laughs> you didn't even tell me this so the deer that totaled your car just ran off with a lamp 
Not even a lamp. It ran. I hit its back end, kind of jumped up a little bit, and it was gone. We're in the middle of Illinois. So first off, you were planning on, you were so anxious to get to grouse camping. And granted, you only had a couple days. Like, this was going to be a very short, quick trip for you. Either way, like, best case scenario, you were only getting two days full-time of hunting up here. And so to do that, you were going to drive throughout the night, leaving at 8 p.m., to get here the following morning to be ready to hunt with us. And so halfway at 3 a.m. in the middle of Illinois, a deer jumps up in front of you, totals your car, and it leaves unscathed. Golly, that's that's some crap crap luck for sure right out of the gates. I gotta I gotta back up again. Two days isn't a whole lot of time for the average person. They might be thinking like, man, that's a lot of drive time, energy, maybe gas money to get here just for two days of hunting. So like, give me your mindset going into it. What were you hoping of, dreaming of? What was your goals out of out of doing a trip like that? Because I tell everybody like, sometimes you just gotta go for it if you want to make trips like this happen and you driving throughout the night sounds like you're kind of living by example on that one well as you know we've spent several days hunting in in tennessee for grouse and the only one we've ever seen was out of season what i really wanted to do was get my dog to understand that we're not just going on hikes in the woods we're we're doing it for a purpose coming up here and actually getting to see the habitat and, and getting some bird exposure was my main goal. So maybe that transfers back down there, or maybe we just end up coming up here every year and, and he gets to learn and have fun doing that. And that's a important takeaway because we talk all the time, like there is no substitute for wild birds. And so fast forward a little bit, you have the misfortune on the way up here, you hit the deer, you get in late yesterday. I know Jacob and I were kind of toying around with what covers to hunt, when and where and how, because we kept holding out hope that you would, you know, be able to get here. For long story short, you had continual car troubles getting here. You limped all the way here. And was it worth it? I guess I should say, because that two days really got cut down to one day of hunting for you. And you were still having to deal with some car issues on the side, calling the shop and, and figuring out, you know, your plans and stuff like that. So was it worth that? And not, not like you knew that you're going to have car issues going into it, but just now that it's over, we're leaving tomorrow morning. Would you say like, yeah, I'm still glad I did. Well, it. so initially when, when we took Arlo out first thing this morning, uh, I, I would have said, no, he just, as y'all saw, he was just playing. He wasn't hunting. He didn't care. It was just another day in the woods in Tennessee at that point. But after tonight, I would say it was well worth it to see see my dog pick up scent and track and do what what he's good at. So Yeah. And Arlo, for the listeners, he's a Weimaraner, three years old. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk about what happened tonight because it was a pretty cool little walk. It's one of those like you just, you had a smile on your face the, the whole time walking out. And, and you've been smiling ever since, even with all the other bs and headache that you have to deal with so that's impressive jacob uh, you were coming up here you know you you used to live down there in tennessee with us and you can relate to what zach's describing as you know chasing unicorns everybody that's listening to this podcast kind of knows how that is down our way but you recently moved to indiana and it just timing and everything you wanted to go on a trip and it worked out that you could come to wisconsin and you actually got to this specific location a few days ahead of me 
why come here instead of going up to like Michigan to where you've been kind of shooting up the past year or so trying to figure things out? Yeah, so we were trying to hit a new state, somewhere different. We've been trying to plan a trip for the last couple seasons since I moved up and last year didn't work out too well. And you said you're going to be in Wisconsin this year. It was going to work good for me with work. Decided to come up here and just take a week off work and give it a try, really. Because you didn't give Rough Grouse a big try, like you had a concerted effort until last season when you moved to Indiana, and then you're able to kind of shoot up into Michigan. I mean, I think you went out a couple times when you lived in Tennessee, but it's not like you're the the diehard, you know, crazy like me that that was trying real hard on a weekly basis almost. No, I had pretty good quail cover an hour away from the house, and I can hit a different area just about every weekend and try something new and. Well, I drive six hours and possibly <laughs> a maybe see a, a bird or when I can go get on good birds, watch the dog work and do that all weekend. Yeah. And uh, once I went up to Michigan, I made a couple weekend trips. It wasn't, you could see each time the dog was piecing it together, but every each time I remember getting a hold of you or somebody's like a couple more days, he'll have it. So I wanted to make sure I had that week long trip to get him on birds so the quick weekend trips were just they weren't connecting and every time you talk to me or anybody else they're like i mean it's just like it's right there you had a couple close calls but it just wasn't connecting so next thing you know you come you you decide to take the plunge you're going to come do a, an extended trip here in wisconsin with us and your story came today your misfortune and bad luck story came today but before that you're having a pretty good trip you're having a lot of fun up here you're able to scratch out a couple firsts for you and tig and in, in regards to the rough grouse but also you even got a little bit of fishing done while you're here yeah the muskie's always been on top of my list and i just haven't had a chance to do it so he needed to break a day I, he put a lot of miles in so went out there bought a non-resident license and went fishing and blucking out and hooking up the tube you got that opportunity because you have one dog and balancing the dog work and and you know we talk about that on the podcast quite a bit is you can do these trips like this with one dog you might have to get creative and rest them maybe go do a, a walk without the dog here and there but instead of doing that you just grabbed the the rod and reel and, and went for the muskie and you you snagged some two pretty good ones yeah there's a couple bait shops here in town stopped by there and picked up a rod and reel and so you didn't even bring a rod and reel with you you went and bought one before you headed out there on the water a rod and reel combo they sold there at the bait shop and i planned on maybe catching a couple walleye and maybe some smallies and ended up hooking up with a 35 inch muskie <laughs> heck yeah you can't complain about that no not at all and what, what's the slot here? Like, what what do you have to catch to be able to keep the fish? I mean, did you even want to keep it? Or I, I don't know much about muskie I didn't look at the rigs from at the all. South. I just knew I needed the license, and I wouldn't plan on keeping any. So I didn't look at the size requirements on it, which a muskie I'm going to put back in the water anyway. It's, maybe if I had a couple, a mess of walleye, that'd be a little different story. But the muskie I released and went and tried to catch another one. Gotcha. And besides the fish and everything you're kind of roughing it for a few days man you 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 came up here budget style kind of like how i like you true diy let's piece it together make it work you know making it fit in within your vacation time from work as well as your wallet i mean especially now with the way gas prices are going and everything it's hard to do that so 
you were literally camping out in the back of your truck for what four or five days before we came up here and and we got the cabin yeah i left my a sleeping pad at the house and my pillow so the first night i woke <laughs> up in pain a few different times sleeping on a truck bed <laughs> so, so, uh, so you forgot your sleeping pad and pillow and then you just like well, all right it is what it is yeah. and you just slept in the back of the truck anyway the first night i did i went to dollar general the next night they sell some real <laughs> cheap foam mattresses deal that sit on top of the mattress and i grabbed some gorilla glue and glued them all together and <laughs> folded them up and may do <laughs> so so you you went to the dollar general got a couple mattress toppers and just jerry-rigged it to yeah to work for it. how'd that work out for you a hell of a lot better than <laughs> a metal truck bed. <laughs> yeah i can i can imagine again it kind of comes back to not maybe the ideal situation or or dream trip that anybody would kind of envision when they kind of embark on a bucket list hunt or or one of these just big dream upland trips that people talk about all the time, you essentially just had to make it work. And you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going up there. I want to learn how to hunt and I want TIG to be successful so that you can hunt them in Michigan closer to home when you go back. And you just had to make it work for what you could, you know, it's, it's kind of like Zach, you know, he just, Hey, I only have two days to do it, but it's better than nothing. So let's just hit the road and go you did the same thing or like, I'm just going to go and, and make it up as I go along and figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And there's plenty of ground. Just got to walk, figure it out. You kind of gave me, led me in the right direction on a couple spots and just branched off from there and figured out where the grouse were going to be at and just kept piecing it together and figure out why the bird is where it's at. Let's expand on that a little bit more. When you go into an, a, a completely foreign area, you've never been there before you're hunting a species that you've targeted before and you've came close in another state, but you don't know this area whatsoever. And I did point you in the right direction. I even gave you a couple pins, but I didn't give you like exact spots or routes and be like, look, this is how you do it. It's like, look, go here, look for X, Y, and Z. Talk to me about the learning curve. Like going out there, were you able to piece it together off of just you know your the basic like foundational knowledge of rough grouse or were you just kind of walking and kicking up birds and figuring it out as you go along yeah so i had a fairly decent idea on what they'd be we haven't had the best weather this week no we we, haven't (laughs) as we figured out so i had a kind of rough idea on where the birds may want to be at but not a hundred percent and the first day we got here i just kind of wanted to get my legs loose get the dog loose do a quick run and went to one of the areas you told me about and someone was actually parked there. So I just went down the road, found the next parking spot and started walking and ended up being a pretty good walk. We got into a few different birds, weren't able to connect, but got good dog work out of it. And each contact, you saw him piece it together and each contact, I was also taking that step back, figuring out why was that bird here and kind of just piecing out food and cover was the big thing with a lot of rain. I was finding birds around conifers and we've had rain all week. So just kept kind of piecing that together and figuring out the surrounding habitat around the conifers. How thick of conifers are we talking about? Are we talking about like contiguous conifers? You're walking through it quite a bit. Are we talking about patchy, maybe just like one lone conifer and an aspen stand? Kind of describe what conifers you're targeting in. So more the small patches is what I was kind of targeting. And there's a few times where there were birds in the big stretches of conifers, and I wouldn't say 
the whole forest was conifer, but good stretches of them around the aspen. And but a lot of the birds at the beginning of the week, at least, were around the small batches of conifers where they can get in the cover, but still move out and get food. So just like the little small islands that you see, I guess, in and around Aspen Cuts, you're you're looking, you see, oh, there's a little small island of conifers. Let's go walk it. Would you go in it or were you just kind of skirting it, see if Tig would kind of catch wind and head in there? How were you handling it? I was letting the dog do the work on most of it where he was going in. He'll, he'll work the wind. Even though it's the first time on grouse, he understands working the wind with plenty of bob whites and then out west and he understands that part just putting the pressure on the grouse because the grouse are smarter i let him do most of the work but if it is a larger conifer patch then i'd get in there a little bit where i'm still hugging the edge of it but i am getting in there where he's pushing in a little bit deeper zach is this kind of making sense so far with what you've seen in your one day i mean it's i know it's again not to beat the dead horse you didn't get unfortunately didn't have the chance to get too many walks but uh I'd say between this morning and this evening that I was with, you got to see a wide variety of places in one day. Yeah. Yeah, it's finding feet and finding cover. <laughs> pretty much like we're walking and I'm pretty much giving you the the 101 spiel, if you will. I think I talked to you on the way out there. I'm like, look, you know, you got one day. How much information do you want? Do you want me to, you know, just turn on the fire hose and, you know, just hit you with it? Or do you just want to ask as we go along and you're like, you know, I just, I want to learn as we're going through the whole time. And so I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's talk about it. And so, especially that, that walk this evening, it was real conifer heavy. Like really, this wasn't islands of conifers. This was contiguous conifers. We were in it and we were, we found obviously the shelter and there's water everywhere. So when I'm preaching like shelter, water, food, we had two out of three, but we just weren't finding food. And then when we started getting into a little bit of food, we found a bird, you know, it's, it's funny how that works. And, you know, again, we're going to get to the, to the Zach walk because that that really like I just you're still just excited about what happened with Arlo the transformation and it's just it's just fascinating to hear when a dog comes into contact with wild birds how it just flips a switch that fast uh, but Jacob first you came you finally had found success with Tig I want to hear that story of the first grouse that you came across with Tig and that moment that's like the light bulb came on for him. Yeah, so we are a good ways into a walk on, it's been a couple of days of hunting. He's, you can see him piecing together. There's a few times I didn't hold up my end of the bargain. but Sounds uh, about right. We all do that. <laughs> yeah, and we were walking. It was a good conifer patch. It was probably 100 yards long or so, but it was on a hillside. We had a, a big swamp down the bottom, aspen on top. And then he, he's working cover, but there's a grouse that flushed out of the tree up top and i watched it fly out of the tree and it landed about 20 yards in front of me and i just kind of froze because i don't want to flush it. i want him to still work it when he comes and checks back in he starts circling around once he does come in and i'm trying to cast him over to where he's gonna get on the other side of it well the wind swirls and he just locks straight up behind me and so i'm like well this only gonna go one or two ways <laughs> and so i start creeping in and it takes off i shoot it's through the conifers i don't really see where it goes yeah i know i didn't see it fall but maybe it cast it down shortly after 
I send him on a search. He's searching for probably 15 minutes or so. And I end up calling. We're going to keep moving. Well, before we move, I decide I'm going to give him some water and take the vest off, let him drink out of a bowl. And we're probably sitting there five minutes or so. He puts his nose up in the air, starts smelling around. Then I grab the gun because I hear something at this point. The bird falls just about in our lap. No it was, shit. <laughs> it was about seven foot up in a tree. I just didn't look up in it and it falls right into our lap. And I just took a step back, let him get through a tree. He brought it to me and that's all she wrote. <laughs> Seriously. So, all right. So we talk about sometimes like things are just meant to be mm-hmm. right. And so it sounds like every step of this, it was just kind of meant to be. I mean, you're walking, you see the bird up in the top of the tree and it pitches down right in front of you and it just hangs out waiting for the dog to handle it. And then it gets up and you have the typical rough grouse shot to where if you see the bird before it flushes nine times out of 10, you're going to miss that. That kind of seems par for the course with this. But then after you send him on a search and you come up empty, you're just watering him and taking a break. And then after a while, the bird just falls right in front of you yeah if i would have walked away a minute beforehand i would have had no <laughs> idea that bird was that i shot the bird <laughs> in the tree it fell out of it couldn't have been more than seven eight foot tall i just didn't look up wow i that's <laughs> I, it, it's hard to believe honestly especially with tig sitting right there he, he didn't smell it but like you said before the bird fell his nose went up and I guess with sending conditions, if the thermals aren't dropping and everything, I guess it's just sitting up there and it's probably just any wind or whatever is just pushing that scent like away from y'all. Yeah, because it was late morning, so thermals would have been rising at that point. Yeah. Wind was furling down in this bottom. and But he was searching. He searched hard. He was going close to 100 yards out and then working everything from there all the way back in and I've seen, I can attest for his, you know, you can call it duck search, but it's just, it's just a hunt him up command, search command. And he's got a quality one. So it's, I mean, I can attest for that, but I, I'm still just, just trying to picture sitting there watering your dog. <laughs> and it's, just, I've, I've had where you shoot, you think you miss, or maybe it's 50 50 and the dogs just miraculously come up with it. I've had it to where you continue on a hunt and the dogs just randomly walk up with a bird, and you're like, okay, cool. I I don't think I've ever been there to where you're just standing there, and the bird just falls <laughs> yeah, it was, right in front of you. <laughs> I was sitting down, and he was laying down, just drinking water. Then he put his nose up. I heard something. I grabbed the gun, no vest, and stood up, started walking two steps, and the bird just falls a few feet away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, all right, so that that's a good first bird story. How do you see Tig react after that, after, like, you finally got the bird in his mouth? I mean, I don't know. if Did you actually send him on the retrieve? I mean, if it fell right in front of you, did you just pick it up, or did he go grab it and, and hand it to you? I mean, it wasn't much of a retrieve. I just looked at Tig <laughs> Fetch, and he just walked right in front of me, picked it up, and gave it to me. Yep, completed it, got it. Yeah. So how did he, he respond after that? Any difference in how he was hunting, his enthusiasm, his range, his tempo? Like, did anything change that you noticed? Yeah, his range went great. He uh, went way out there and got on the other side of a swamp and couldn't get back to me. <laughs> he couldn't figure <laughs> it out. And then, so I had a, after that, for the rest of that walk, it just wasn't that great. I think he just got too excited. And then he got confused with getting on the other side of the swamp and I was calling him. It was echoing. So he was actually pushing him away. Mm. And then 
we ended up going back to the truck, sat down, had a good come to Jesus moment where for both of us and <laughs> settle down now. <laughs> we went on a went hit a different partial and you could just see everything click. Yeah, you touch on one thing the the recall, the echoing uh w- when they get stuck, a lot of people that throws a lot of people for a loop when uh they're calling their dog who typically has a pretty sound recall. And they just keep getting further and further away and they don't really know how to respond. And you were telling me about this one later to where you were kind of surprised that he just kept going further away and you're like, it had to be the echo. The trick to that is just turn around and call the opposite way. It seems counterintuitive. Which I did try that today. He was working, he was working cover, getting out there, I think. And then with Quinn and he, he's, I saw he was working <laughs> that way. So I was trying to call him back and I saw, I don't know if he could hear me or not. Wind wasn't blowing the best direction. He was about 125 out and turned around and did the whistle and looked down the GPS and he's heading my way. So, well, that bring brings us in to today. It kind of nicely to where we get to a spot first off this morning, we knew today was going to be a long day because we really wanted to hit it hard, give Zach a, a chance to get his first bird and at the very least see some action and see some birds. Cause you've never even seen a, a, a real, an actual bird, like you said, in season. So we were really wanting to hit it hard and I had saved the honey hole all week long. Like I have, it's my favorite spot. I have so many memories on this one spot and when zach you told me that you're coming up i told jacob i'm like look here's a spot it's my honey hole it 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 means a lot to me go have fun but don't hunt it you know two days out from zach getting there let's just kind of leave it alone because i had an earmark for you and arlo and we go down there and lo and behold it's gone. <laughs> they, they leveled it. They cut it. I was just here two years ago. It was prime grouse habitat. I, in my opinion, I think it was cut a little too early, but hey, it's uh, it's future habitat, right? You can't get too upset or turn your nose up at that. So that walk was kind of a dud. So we kind of shoot up a little further north and find another spot that Jacob, you had on the map and you're like, this looked good. I wanted to kind of go walk this. So we get out and we separate trails because we were going to go hunt the same trail and then when we're literally getting the dogs ready to go, my I, I re- remembered my young <laughs> 14-month-old pup just had her first heat cycle. And so we thought it best not to run Quinn in her first heat cycle with Tig on the ground uh, for, for obvious reasons. So we split up and I went down the road and with Zach and, and we found another spot, but we had it, everything on the GPS mark so that you and Tig would stay clear of of Quinn. And so, uh, that's when you had the issue is, is you're out hunting and you saw that you guys were kind of heading into where we were at with Quinn and you just decided to turn around and go the opposite way. Yeah. 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 So on this walk, it was, it, it was interesting in a lot of different ways. The first walk was pretty much a bust for Zach is, but this one we get there. It looks great right out of the gate. Like I'm telling Zach, I'm like, this cover looks good. I'm excited for this. And it was one of those, the further you walked, the better it looked. And I'm just getting more and more excited. I'm, I'm pointing at things. I'm telling, I'm giving him the one one spiel. Like this is that look for this. This is how you handle the dog. And Quinn's on the ground and Quinn's has been on fire. I mean, it's just like everything you could dream of, of a pup's first season in, gr- in the grouse woods 
she is really kind of fulfilled and exceeded in a lot of ways. And, and she's been on fire these past two weeks. And so I was excited to uh, get her out and continue the, the streak, if you will. And Zach, I could tell Zach, what was your first initial kind of response to seeing how Quinn was working the cover in comparison to maybe the other dogs that you've seen specifically Arlo that morning and some of the dogs that you've seen in the past in Tennessee? My first uh, reaction to that was definitely that it's something that my dog will never do. Um, (laughs) Okay. I I have seen other dogs that do have great searches and, and, and do a good job finding dogs, but watching a dog get out there, range out and really cover land is, is always uh, super cool to see. So we go out, she's out there doing her thing. She's just searching. I'm casting. It's just like, I'm pointing out to you. You've seen it, Jacob. I don't know if, if the trail you're on or, or the cut you're on was similar to, but it was as, as big Aspen cut, but it's like, they left a lot of good seed oaks out there and and they left a lot of good little islands of conifers out there and so like it really gave Quinn some nice objectives to check off as we were walking through this cover and I was explaining to 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 Zach that especially last week that the grouse were just hammering the acorns hammering the acorns and I'm like you know when you see all this aspen and then you see these little seed oaks that are still out there you you want the dog to go under each and every one of those. And it wasn't, I don't know, man, we weren't out there, what, Zach, half an hour? And we started getting into action, and Zach got shot off. You know, we, the collar goes off. We go in. I'm working Quinn, and, and all of a sudden, Bird gets up. Zach shoots at it, misses. And, he, and he, I, I look back, and you could tell his eyes were as big as saucers, and you could tell that he had that initial, like, crap, they're fast. <laughs> yeah, because we have everything linked together, and since I'm just over there, I can hear. I'm close enough where I, my handheld's going off whenever she goes on point as well. <laughs> so I hear the handheld go off, and I'm just listening for the shot. It's like a play-by-play action from afar. <laughs> it is. I'm just waiting for the shot, and it end up hearing a shot or – you don't hear something like oh, getting a drink of water or taking a leak or something like that and just keep walking. And then once you do hear it, it's piece by piece together. Well, it was hilarious because we've all been there. The The first impression of crap, those birds move fast. Like that flush happens really fast. He had that face on him. He was just like, I, I, I think it was a grouse. <laughs> it was like, you know, it, it's, it, it doesn't surprise the guys that have been doing this for a while, like that initial reaction, we've all been there and done that. But what surprised me and and not really surprised me, but like was fortunate after that is he missed a uh, woodcock gets up and I, I actually shot at that one. I, I missed that one. It was like, it was all just boom, 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 boom. And then I'm like, all right, well let's recuperate water Quinn. I'll release her. And I mean, it wasn't a minute later, two minutes later, Boom, she's on point again, 40 yards. I'm like, all right, let's go. And this time, Zach's moving a little faster on this one. He's he's catching up. He's going even, and, and we get to this little conifer island, and I send him to the left, and Quinn's holding on point. I circle around to the right, and it was a very interesting-sounding flush. Like, you could – you. it wasn't the typical just – and that you see the bird flying out. It's like you hear a bunch of crashing – and the bird's trying to flush. Quinn's still holding on point. That was my first initial reaction. I'm like, oh, she busted in 
and she's chasing this bird and the bird can't get out. Like, no, nah, she was still on point, but that bird was in such thick cover. It honestly could not get out and flush for a second. And finally it kicks out, but because it made such a ruckus trying to get out, I had plenty of time to set my feet and get ready and just it made a nice shot. And she goes and gets it, retrieves it and comes back and, and Zach comes and, and he's just, he's got those big eyes again, like, holy crap, this is real. It happens. It actually transpires and, and I'm here to see it. And I hand him the bird and you could just tell he's like, this is cool. This is awesome. Zach, what was going through your mind when you finally got to hold a rough grouse in your hand for the first time? Well, uh, reality kind of hit me. They're bigger than I thought they were, but it was something else getting to actually see one in person and hold one when you've been looking for them for so long. Did it make you want to just keep going even more? Like, did it, it, you know, obviously you came up here for a one or two day hunt and so you wanted it pretty bad, but like, what, what did it do for your motivation after that? Just actually being able to see a full sequence for the first time. Cause like you said, at the start of this, you've gone on Tennessee hunts, you've gone on the unicorn hunts, but you haven't seen one in action. So you haven't even seen a, a pointing dog, find point search, you know, flush. You haven't witnessed all that. So like kind of walk me through your first impressions of it. Yeah. I wanted to get one for myself, but I really wanted to, to have a dog that that did a good job of, of hunting them and, and giving me opportunity. It, it definitely, I wanted to keep going and find more birds. And Well, while we were having that grand old time, that, that amazing experience, just, just a little bit further east of us, Jacob was having a little bit different of a time <laughs> because as soon as Zach hands me back the bird, my phone rings and it's Jacob. And I thought he must have heard us shooting and, and yelling like good girl and all that stuff. I was waiting on the congrats, like, oh, did you get one? I answered the phone and Jacob, what had happened to you while we were having fun on our end? <laughs> I said, I'm going to need some help is what that was. So Tig got into a porcupine. Yeah. He got every bit of it. Yeah, he did. He didn't do one of these little glance, you know, contacts. He made it worth it. He made it count. Yeah, he delivered to hand. <laughs> as happy as can be. He, he he killed it and delivered it to hand. Came by, set, did what he's supposed to do. And as he's sitting there, I'm figuring out how I'm going to get a hold of it. <laughs> and tried to do a quick game plan of what now, because kind of set up just in case it got into a porcupine from last year to this year we haven't had that issue mm -hmm. up until the last day of the hunt and uh, he came up he we were walking down a fire break and i thought he was working grouse you could tell he was tracking from watching the gps and listen you can after hunting all week with the bell for the first time you can kind of pick up on what the bell sounds like when he's tracking and when he's just running and I thought he was tracking grouse because we we're in great cover is any second there's going to be a grouse come up and you know, he turns the corner and there's a porcupine in his mouth and he comes over, sits and delivers it to me. And I grabbed it and right when I told him out, I shoved my hand in his mouth because he was full <laughs> of them. That way he wasn't chomping down on them, making matters worse. So this is the second time that a buddy of mine has come to Wisconsin and, and joined me on a rough grouse hunt that I end up having to 
pull quills and, and help out in this regard. <laughs> the first one was Austin a few years back at the very start of this podcast, actually. It was like one of the first few episodes we were talking about it. Cash got into it and then now Tig. But, you know, I don't know if we even said at the start of this what kind of dog Tig is. For those that are listening to this based on, you know, how he went in and grabbed it, killed it, and brought it back to hand, they might be guessing that it's, it was a draught. And they'd be right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not he, to be he too did cliche. the drop thing on, on that one. <laughs> Take a drop into the woods and, the, and this is what you come out with. But what's funny is like you, you said it like I need help. And it's like, well, yeah, you have a freaking 90 pound horse over there with a mouthful of porcupines. And so we, Zach and I immediately turn around. We're like, all right. And I'm sitting here like, man. I, of course, I'm coming to help my buddy. Like, we're going to go go help. We're going to do what needs to be done. But I'm just sitting here looking at this amazing cover and the, this dog. The sun just finally opened up for the first time in, like, four days. Like, you know, this is, like, prime time to be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I unloaded my gun just so I wasn't tempted on the walk back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made sure I unloaded that just in case we saw a grouse. I did. <laughs> I didn't get tempted. <laughs> so, so we, I'm, I'm sitting there. It's like, all right, let's turn around. Let's go back to the truck. But part of me is, you know, kind of looking over my shoulder. I'm like, oh man, like this is horrible timing, Tig. But we get back to the truck. It, you know, we, we do, I, I do a quick tailgate check on Quimp, make sure she's good, put her in the box and we head your way and we pull up and you're just sitting next to the truck. You know, you, you you have the jig in his mouth and you're trying to pull quills and everything. And I pull up and you got like a half grin on your face and he's just laying on the ground with his tail wagging and just quills everywhere. <laughs> like it's, he made it count. <laughs> yeah. he. I'm not going to say it's the worst I've seen, but it, it's definitely not the best one I've seen. <laughs> It wasn't like four or five and, and no. move on your day. This is his day and possibly trip is probably done. Yeah. I'm not going to risk it tomorrow. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't think it's going to be worth it. I'm still pulling quills out. That's been embedded. Yeah. We pulled three out right before we started this. Well, and it's important to, you know, a lot of people, you know, the porcupine quills, it's, you kind of have to take this on a case by case basis. Some, some dogs literally go and they get like three in the nose that's it like you know knock on wood if you ever run into a, a porcupine that's your experience other dogs on on the other hand that they go all out and tig went for it and really it's like when it when it's that bad i tell everybody like you you need to go sedate them like you know you need to get them to the vet and sedate them to make sure that you get all the quills out that you can and so we weren't out there i mean we were out there pulling for quite a while but we weren't out there trying to get every single quill out we were trying to make sure his his airway was clear that he could open and close his mouth because i mean it was everywhere it was yeah his mouth was full especially the roof and tongue and that was i think what was bugging him the most just because he couldn't shut his mouth anytime he did try to do anything he was getting poked then too and then you, you had the jig in, and anybody that's not familiar with a jig, this is one of those things that, that it, it's good to have in your vest. It's good to have in your first aid kit. And essentially to describe what it is, is picture a, a wooden dowel, a big stick, you know, a big round stick, and you just kind of put it in the back of the mouth to where they can't close their jaws, right? It just, it prevents them from closing. And then you have oftentimes paracord or I've seen bungee cords or just rope in general, something kind of 
screwed and tied into the ends and you go up back behind the head right behind the ears almost as a good like collar fastening and you just tie it behind the ears and they can't they can't get it out they can't dislodge it and so their mouth is permanently open and then you can go about trying to pull quills and that kind of depends on how bad they are where they're at the type of dog with Tig being a giant horse of a draught, it took me and you, which neither one of us are really small guys by any means. It took both of us pinning this dude down. <laughs> yeah. And there's a couple times where we just kind of had to let him do what he did and just contain it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, because it's like you, he could hurt himself by fighting us as much as he was. Sometimes you just kind of have to, give them a little bit of space and to maneuver a little bit. But ultimately like our main priority was just making sure the mouth was, was clear. And we knew that we, okay, well we got, we have to go into the vet on this. So we do that. We did, we, we spent quite a while just clearing out the mouth and, and making sure his airway was good. And uh, that's when Zach hopped in your truck. You, you know, you carry Tig in the back of the truck and uh, we, we, we take it to the vet. What was the vet experience? We were there for a little bit, you know, it it was hilarious. He got doped up, and that dog, that dude, was just still full of quills, just on the vet table, just wagging his tail, just thump, yeah. thump, thump, thump. <laughs> just he was happy as could be. <laughs> I think the only thing that made him mad about the whole thing was pulling him out. He didn't like that. <laughs> and uh, no, the vet did great. They, we both we they got him sedated and. Me and her just went at it and pulling quills out, and we were there for a couple hours just still pulling quills out and got everything we could get and made it it a whole lot easier than sitting on him when he's nice and lively out (laughs) out in the parking spot there in the woods. Yeah. Well, was there anything at the vet that stands out to you that was interesting, something maybe you didn't know, you know, anything worth sharing on the podcast besides just, you know, you guys just kind of embrace the suck, put them down, and started pulling? Yeah, the one thing that did is I didn't, I haven't really aged porcupines on size since they're not around where I live at, and I haven't been up here enough to see enough of them. When we started pulling them after we got into them, she goes, he had it was a young one he got into just with how much the quills were breaking and she's like that it was a young they're not they break too easy and they're not as the quills not as dense i guess or hard and something that she said was thinking about it it probably was it wasn't a huge porcupine it was big enough for me i guess well dad gum tig a real drop would have killed a full-on adult male porcupine man yeah he's at the feet he's still coming down from that sedation he was stoned as a monkey <laughs> for for all all afternoon on that but he's good now you know there's still some some in there and obviously you gotta be on the lookout for that for some time they'll start festering out and stuff like that but uh, did she say anything else in terms of like be on the lookout for be concerned with possibly yeah she just said keep checking them because there's some still that it's in his mouth that they'll probably push through one side of the lip or the other. He's got a cluster of them broke off or embedded in his ear. And then there's some on the side of his head that they're just embedded there. It's got to keep watching out for, see if you see any swelling, get them to the vet and just got to keep checking on them. Did, did she say like swelling is like indicative of, an infection or just anything like that i mean what was what does the swelling indicate i guess um she kind of said that it was 
it's going to be moving. We know that. But it could, they move towards the dark end of the quill. Well, when the dark end's the tip of it, then it's going to be moving in more. And so hopefully that ain't the case. It kind of works its way out, but a lot of them could work their way in. And around the eyes, it could make a dog blind. And if it was around the chest cavity or stomach, you could have a lot of issues there with the vitals. So, yeah, just keep an eye out on that. Hopefully there's no more issues, but he seems to be fine. But then again, you know, Tig, the type of dog that he is, you could probably go drop him to go hunt tomorrow and wouldn't see any issues. It has issues, me thinking but... twice about, I'm going to come up here again. I know that, but. Yeah, play it safe. Go it's home. <laughs> going to be, he, I'm guessing he's going to do it again. Hopefully not as bad, but I feel like he's going to go right back after him. If he does see one run, hopefully I see it first this time. Yeah. So while you're at the vet, you know, Zach and I, Eventually left, you know, there's only so much, you know, everybody can do for, for one dog with a bunch of porcupine quills. So we, we leave and we link up with, uh, old timer bill, which the original plan was for all of us to go for, for a, a last hunt and everybody kind of in camp get to, to spend one evening together hunting over at least one or two dogs. This time we kind of hit a mulligan, hit hit redo, and we took Arlo out. Being the first and last day in camp, we wanted to give Arlo a fair shake. Let's you know, let's make the trip up here worth it, or at least try to. And uh, real quick, Zach, what would you think Arlo would do if he came across a porcupine in compare comparison to Tig? I I really don't know. He loves chasing squirrels and and he enjoys spur game, but I really don't have There's any no idea. Telling. You could see it going either way with I, him. I would prefer not to find out. <laughs> so fortunately on this walk, we didn't come across any porcupines, but me and you, we linked up with Bill. And you have hunted with Bill, old-timer Bill. You're one of the guys in Tennessee that when I talk about Bill kind of mentors really any of the quote-unquote younger guys in in Tennessee, he's the guy that does it. And you you linked up with Bill two seasons ago? Yeah, two or three years ago. So, you know, you've been out with Bill a couple times, but again, this is the first time in bird country. And so me and Bill and you take Arlo. We, we're not dropping any other dogs. All the other dogs have had their time to shine, you know, the whole trip. This is all about Arlo and hopefully connecting dots is just like you said, there are birds out there. Let's go find them. Let's go search for them. Just, just for him to realize that they exist and that we can go find them. Talk to me about what your thought process is going into, because you already talked about this morning, didn't leave the the best feeling in, inside for you in terms of how he was searching. You know, he, he really didn't get a whole lot of chance or opportunity to do much of anything this morning because the honey hole was cut down. I mean, so this second walk, what are you hoping to get out of it? What's your thought process going into it? What I was looking for mainly was just exposure. This morning we had talked and after seeing Quinn hunt and realizing that that's just something that Arlo will not be, I decided that I'll probably end up just getting an English dog here in a couple of years <laughs> um, to hunt grouse with and still be able to use Arlo for tracking or, or duck hunting and stuff like that. But tonight, if we could just get him on a bird i knew that if he got one in his mouth it would flip a switch he would start hunting and it's one of those that can be tough to do when you're talking about just get a bird in the dog's mouth you have to first find the bird 
then especially on this bird, then you have to shoot the bird. He actually does have good retrieve drive. You've actually like gone through force fetch with him. You know, you and I have kind of messaged and, and gone through that. And he's got a, a healthy retrieve drive and capability in that regards. But first we have to find it. Then we have to shoot it. And I guess that's where old timer Bill falls in. We, you know, we go and we find, we, we find a bird. Again, you know, back circling back to what I was talking about earlier, we're in just a sea of conifer. Like it's just too much conifer, right? Like they're all actually healthy size. It's not the really tall, like big spruce, just never ending sea of planted conifers. It, it's a good healthy mix of white pines and, and, and balsam firs and, and all kinds of different ones mixed in, but there's nothing else. And I was telling you, you know, the, the name of this game is variety and you have to have those three elements with all the conifers. You, all right, we have the shelter, the water's everywhere because it's been raining for a week here, pretty much the food. There was just, there really wasn't food. I mean, it, you know, if you went out on the trails, you could find the clover, you could find the, find the wild strawberry. But besides that, there was no food. And then I, I think we, we stopped and I started pointing down the trail. I'm like, all right, there's, there's finally an oak on the left then a little small oak on the right and then okay here's some hazel like we were finally starting to kind of get into some food and on the right side of the trail i can't remember it it doesn't stand out to me what arlo was doing but me you and arlo were on the right side of the trail and bill was hanging back a good ways i don't know 20 25 yards or so and we flush a bird out and you didn't hear it I'm like, you know, bird, bird, bird. And, and, you know, finally you key in on it, but it's way too late. Like it's it just, there's no shot opportunity. Then all of a sudden we hear bow and Bill's like, yeah. <laughs> and I see where the bird goes down and I'm like, this is, this is the great opportunity. This is what's, you know, going to get Arlo excited. And so Arlo ends up going over there and getting the retrieve. And to your point, Arlo is a different dog after that. I mean, just a wild flush. We walked the bird up. I don't think he's ever smelled it or keyed in on it. it did Do you remember? Um, nothing stood out to me as far as that goes. I think he was, there was some stuff growing in the middle of the walkway. I think he was smelling down in. Okay. So before that, I mean, there's a couple things that would make him pop on this walk. You would see his head turn, his nose would go high. Sometimes it would go down on the ground, but he still just wasn't connecting that like we're out there to hunt. It was just like you described earlier. It's like, okay, it's another fun run. After that bird, he got it in his mouth and and we, we let him parade with it for a little while, take ownership, enjoy it, have fun with it. And then when he finally started kind of, you know, tonguing it and mouthing it a little bit, then it's like, all right, take it from him. From then on, Jacob, you should have seen this dog. He was ranging 60-plus yards out, yeah. hitting objectives, getting pulled off the trail, and, I mean, cranking hard. Like, it, he would just be running, and out of nowhere, it's like, you know, somebody set the hook on a fishing line or something. He would just get jerked to the right and just take off into cover. And Zach would try and hightail it up there to keep up with them. It was – I've seen a lot of dog switches get flipped before, but none to that extent. Like it was, it was pretty eye opening in a lot of ways to where like this dog went from having zero search and and hunt to all of a sudden it was like, 
it was on. It, it was just, he knew there's stuff out there. I'm on it now. He realized he was out there for a reason at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was at the point where Zach, I look up and he's just smiling. Like I, I went, I followed you into one of the conifer patches that he just, you know, hooked right and went down into, and you're looking at the collar remote of which at this point, you never, you didn't even have a reason to really have the, <laughs> the, the tracking collar, but n- then you're looking at it and you're like, he, he's 65 yards. He, he's further than 65 yards. And he looks at, at me and he's just like, he's never gone this far. <laughs> and, uh, what, what was it like? I mean, try and put it into words to where, I mean, I could tell the relief, the monkey was off your back and, and he hasn't even, he didn't even find a bird. It's not like he pointed or you got to shoot your first one, but you could tell like just seeing the hunt turn on in this dog meant the world to you. Nick, there aren't words. I've seen it, seen it a handful of times when we're woodcock hunting or something like that. But it, it's one of the greatest things, actually working and training these dogs and spending so much time and energy on them and taking them out. and And if we we killed something one day or not, that's not a big deal. But seeing your hard work pay off and and seeing seeing your dog have a good time is is all worth it. Well, and I mean, you came out of one point to where I followed you in on the first few, you know, maybe we get lucky and I can get some pictures of of him because I'm not even carrying a gun on this walk. I'm just there to enjoy the experience. And I was, I was following, maybe I'll get lucky. And then he got to shooting off into some of these conifer patches. And I'm like, you know what? I'll see y'all when y'all come back to the trail. You came back and I think you told Bill one time, you're like, it almost brings tears to your eyes. It, It was emotional. It really was. It makes a big difference. It, it's frustrating, especially when you're out with people having a dog that won't hunt. Yeah. And knowing there are birds out there, but he doesn't know that. But you can't just tell him that and him believe you. But when he actually got that bird in his mouth and he realized there were birds out there to find, he he changed and it was it was cool to see because he just turned 3 he's not an like a puppy but he's not an old dog by any means i mean he's still exposure you do your best that you can on the weekends you know weekend warrior style of getting them out and and getting them hunting you just said that you take them woodcock hunting but correct me if i'm wrong this is the first time he's ever had a true wild bird in his mouth that's never been touched by a human hand before yeah. i mean it's like pen raised birds all that stuff he's played that game for for a while and you've just never seen that hunt kind of come alive like it did today because he literally got a fresh warm bird in his mouth and we didn't touch it we didn't even it, foot scent wasn't even around it like it it just it's amazing what these w- true wild birds will do to a bird dog it's like the their genetics just kick on after laying dormant for so long it just completely different dog so what was some of the main takeaways that you had on that walk be it from me bill arlo like what was some of the main lessons to where again you crammed a lot into today you got a lot of learning experience from the very first walk all the way through this last walk what were some of the main takeaways that you had on the successful walk with me and Bill? Well, we learned a lot about different foods and covers for the birds, but I think that was the 
or the biggest realization was just how true the saying that birds make a bird dog is and seeing that that it 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 only took that one bird to really flip that switch and, and turn things around Jacob, what were some of the main lessons that you learned throughout this week? You spent the majority of the week with without help figuring out, piecing it together. What were some of the main lessons that you're taking away from this? I think I was a little strict on the dog when it comes to handling the birds. I could have been successful last year in Michigan shooting birds if that was my goal, just to shoot birds. I wanted to make sure that he understood how to handle these birds well. So I was a little strict. There's probably some birds I should have shot that... I had shots on, he just got a little too close on when he relocated, he's bumping these birds, which it kind of is what it is. More just trying to learn the habitat. I learned a lot on what these birds eat, what where they're hanging out at, at least in bad weather that we've had this week. I say that's the biggest one, just trying to figure out what they do on a day-to-day basis because it's with the grouse, it changes year-round. And during the hunting season, it could be like last Sunday we had... 60 plus degree weather bright sunny they weren't in the conifers that day that's where i was kind of hitting just because that's where i found them at the day before and so just trying to figure out the habitat's the big one yeah figuring out how to pattern them it kind of goes into some of the main things that i i think i find i appreciate the most about rough grouse is just like how you can go into the weeds on this as much as you want like everybody, some people just like to go drop dogs and go for a walk and not really overanalyze what they're hitting. They're not trying to pattern the birds. It's just like, eh, it's high stem density. It's a cut. Let's just go see if we find a grouse. And I get that. I get that approach. It's like, eh, let's just go see what happens. But I also kind of see it as some people really nerd out and they like to pattern the birds. And it's just, it's almost like a chess match almost. You strategize and it's like, okay, the, the rain's here, so let's go hit up the conifer this way, or or the the cold front's moving in. So, you know, I bet they're trying to fill up before they go to roost. So let's go hit this, and that's what I appreciate about rough grouse hunting is it's like there's a million different ways to come at this, and everybody finds appreciation in it for a completely different way. It almost seems like to me. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. No, I a hundred percent agree. I'm not going to say this is my favorite type of hunting. It, <laughs> right. I would, it's going to be a whole lot more fun out there on the prairie shooting all kinds of birds, but you have that appreciation for that grouse because it's going to, it is from what I've done so far is the smartest bird. It's going to outsmart the dog. It's going to outsmart you. It's going to do something different every single day. So it's one of them of, you can't just do what you always do. You got to do what the grouse want to do and play their game. Zach, what are your thoughts on it? What is it about rough grouse hunting that's going to stick with you? Like, why do you find it, it can be a miserable thing to go and try and do. So like, why, what is appealing about it to you that makes you want to keep trying or get better at it? That's a great question. It's really something that, that I've never thought about. Gosh, Nick, I just want one so bad. bad. (laughs) 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 You spent so much time looking for them. It it has been really cool to learn about them, and I do want to continue to do that. And I want Arlo to continue to to be more proficient in, in hunting and tracking them. Would you agree with what Jacob just said in terms of maybe it's not the most fun bird to hunt, but like that right in of itself kind of makes it more to where you have to appreciate them even more. I wouldn't agree that I don't 
think they're the most fun birds. I really enjoyed this. There's a lot of thought that goes into it that you have to take into play that I enjoy. Yeah. So, so you like the strategic element ab- absolutely. of it. Absolutely. And, and especially up here, when you're not walking through thorns and, and briar patches, it, it's so much better. Yeah. I would say I kind of, I'm not going to say I agree with Jacob, but I agree with what you're saying in terms of if you talk about like the most fun bird, like if somebody came up to me and a listener and I do get asked this from time to time, especially leading up into season is like, I want to go out with my dog and I want to shoot birds and I want to have fun. I'm not going to probably say rough grouse hunting is for that person. Like if you're just looking to go out and, and shoot and have fun, like to me, there are better birds and better habitat that they you know certain birds live in that's more conducive for that type of style but if i the way i describe it is it may not be the most fun but it's the most fulfilling absolutely you gotta appreciate what that bird's doing yeah it's like the it's the most rewarding you really have to embrace the suck getting poked in the eye with the limbs like going through crap you know it's just when you go to take a shower at the night, all the pine needles are coming out of your hair and, and out of your clothes. The, you're covered in ticks every time you come out of these walks. Like th- there's a lot to deter somebody to where if you haven't been out and you, you really haven't seen these birds, like I can see why the average person would be like, why would you want to do that? Are you insane? Like it doesn't sound like fun, but when it connects, it's like you're hooked. You know, I think, Jacob, you got your first bird this week. So, you know, you, you and you've had tastes of it over the past year, but you finally got your first bird this week. So I have a feeling that you're hooked for a while. Zach, it seems like just by seeing Arlo's light switch, like you're really hooked and you you haven't gotten your first bird yet. So that to me, like that's a great example of what I'm talking about to where it to me and all the birds that I've hunted so far in the uplands, it is the most rewarding. It is the most fulfilling because more times than not, you're going to look bad. You're going to look awful. You're the bird's going to make your dogs look bad. You're the dogs can do everything right. You can do everything right. And you still come up shorthanded. It's like for everything to work out, like at the end of it, you still have to have a little bit of luck on your side almost for that bird to fly in the right direction and you just get a shot off. And that's not for everybody. I'm not saying everybody should prefer rough grouse hunting, but if you're the guy that likes to equate it to, you know, you have people that like to go deer hunting just to fill up the freezer. And then you have the people that really like to read maps, topographical maps and map out and put trail cams out and start patterning these big bucks i kind of feel like the rough grouse is that version in the uplands would you agree yeah i'd say if you and your dog have kind of figured out especially the dog figuring out how to hunt these grouse you're gonna be able to hunt go anywhere in the country and hunt any type of bird i do just with a handful of different species i've hunted the grouse stands out above all of them Mm. so moving forward what's left in the season for you? I mean, I know that we have a few more months. Are you excited to go back to Indiana, maybe make the weekend trips up to Michigan? Zach, are you excited to go back 
to the land of unicorns and continue to do this? Or are you guys going to be looking at it's like, you know, it's like, I like it. I want to do it. I, I want that first bird. Like Zach, you just very well put, just, I really want that bird. But is it something that, is it worth the, the effort in the locations that you guys kind of live in to pursue throughout the rest of the season? Or are you guys going to wait to just reserve that for when you're in bird country? No, I'm 100% going to be making some weekend trips up to Michigan during their late season after a little break for deer, deer rifle. Season. Next week is opening week of pheasant for Indiana, so I'm going to walk a whole lot to shoot one or two pheasants, hopefully, and then do a little bit of deer hunting. And once grouse kicks up back in Michigan, I'll be making a weekend trip up there a couple times. So you're going to be chasing that chasing that high again so to speak throughout the season so while you're saying that you know it's not the most fun you'll you would still you know rather do that than stick around indiana and do the pheasant hunting there yeah i can't say i'm a huge fan of pheasant hunting i don't have that same reward i don't the dog work hasn't been the greatest just because they run forever and it's and not the cattails it, the cattails is i the habitat is what it is that doesn't bother me you just you're out walking i enjoy being in the woods and there is that fulfillment of if you do harvest the grouse that that's another aspect i don't what none of us really touched on is just being in the woods with the upland birds like you get the prairie you get you get the cattails you get you get the desert with the quail like i've been in a lot of different areas but there is something special about being in the woods chasing birds like this. It's kind of cool and, and unique. There's not, you know, you got blue grouse and, and other grouse species that, that you can chase in the woods. But just grouse in general, like just being chasing birds in the woods is pretty special to me as well. Zach, what about you, though? I can't say you, you're going to be excited to chase it in Tennessee, but has this, I guess, motivated you more to want to chase it in Tennessee or are you really going to kind of focus or look towards next season and getting like a longer trip in the Northwoods? Well, we definitely will be taking at least a week to come back. Three days was hard, but it was good minus the little setbacks. But when I get back, I'm going to also be doing a little bit of different hunting, but I got some leads on where there might be some grouse and I'm really interested to seeing how the habitat up here transfers to the habitat down there and what the grouse are eating down there what they're using for cover and and all of that so i think there's a lot to learn in order to figure out where the last two or three grouse around are going to be well guys it was a a pleasure sharing camp with you guys a few days you know i know everything didn't go to plan especially today we we had a, a a nice master plan that fell out as soon as we got to the first spot and that's part of hunting sometimes you just you got to go with the flow and and be flexible and make it work you know ideally not with porcupine quills but you know hey stuff happens that's why you got to be prepared that's why you got the first aid kit right yeah (laughs) i had it in my vest and oh real quick you're sitting here playing with your with your hemostats and everything why don't you tell everybody about you know the lesson that we learned on cheap medical utensils if you will yeah, the ones that are curved at the end, they work good while we were there, but the other ones that were straight, they were bent at some point, being in my vest. They didn't hold up. They were, they were they weren't grabbing any quills. They were just slipping the whole time and it just became frustrating after 
handful of times doing it. Yeah. And the vet, once she saw the tools that you're using, she took pity on you and actually gave you a nice, like, what'd you say that that's like a, a German yeah, uh, it's model a, of hemostats? It's like a heavier duty. It's not some like cheap little fake metal looking stuff like this is legit well i tried taking what she was using and uh she, <laughs> she was she wasn't gonna let me take them once they were okay. apparently the high dollar ones she goes i'll get you some though and she brought me these ones which are still great quality and they a, lot, just... a lot better than the cheaper version so and it, that's a good point because i think i have the same versions that you had to where they just they went in the vest and i haven't come across porcupine so i haven't taken them out and so i might need to check mine to see if they're bent because to your point the the straight ones that were bent they were useless I yeah mean, and it's not something you just check on a daily basis see which it is that reminder of a hey, check all your gear make sure it is working because got a handful of stuff in the backpack portion of the vest that you i guess got a handful of stuff in there and when you need it you want to make sure it works no absolutely anything else come to mind anything remaining that we didn't touch on before we wrap this up or are you guys good to go i know we're gonna go drink a few more beers and then hit the bed and zach you know you and i have a an early start to get to i got a carpool partner now that that car it and limping home tomorrow yeah you're gonna love it (laughs) (laughs) have a good time well yep guys i appreciate it as always everybody thanks for listening stay tuned for the outro and we'll talk soon Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock head on over to uplandguncompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode presented by Standing Stone Supply, Onyx Hunt, DT Systems, Upland Gun Company, and Final Rise. I met Jacob and Zach years ago through the NAVDA chapter. And, uh, you know, it just kind of goes to show, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think that probably the most beneficial aspect of getting involved in an organization such as NAVDA is the relationships and networking that that it affords you when you get involved and, and you become active. And I've made numerous friendships throughout the years through NAVDA and other organizations and Jacob especially you know I've known him a little bit longer than Zach and and we've shared a number of hunts including South Dakota and and just local you know quail hunting and woodcock hunting and and stuff like that and I was glad to be able to link up with him you know he moved uh, out of Tennessee and and we've been looking for an excuse to try and link up and you know, get, get some walks in again. And then Zach, as you heard in this episode, he just ate up with it. He, he's just trying to figure it out. He's trying to learn. He's trying to get his dog on birds and not to keep beating a dead horse. But it's just very challenging to do when you live down here in the southeast. It is what it is. But it, it does go to show that, you know, 
again, we've, we've made this point time and time again. If you really want to develop a, a true wild bird dog, you have to go get it on wild birds. There's just no substitute. We can do what we can with launchers, pigeons, pen raised birds, what, what have you. There is no substitute for actual wild birds and the actual wild bird that you are hoping to chase with, with your individual dog. It makes a huge bit of difference. So with that being said, you have to, depending on where you live in the country and your goals with your individual dog, you have to be willing to travel and you have to be willing to travel and just make it happen when and where you can. You never know when when an opportunity is going to come up. You know, Zach reached out and asked. He had a couple dates available and he was looking to get on some wild birds, you know, within a reasonable drive time, not something that was 20 plus hours. And, and that's where I invited him up to uh, close out the grouse camp and the, and the my my kind of loop through the north woods. And I'm, I'm glad he was able to make it up. It was unfortunate that he struck that deer on the way up. But, you know, anybody that's been doing these trips long enough, and it, it doesn't have to be a hunting-specific trip, you know, just traveling in general. You're going to have accidents. You're going to have issues. You're going to have hurdles. It's baked into the cake. And so you just have to be prepared the best you can. And, and Zach... He made it up to Wisconsin and he just kind of, he, he made as much lemonade out of those lemons as you could. He got up there, he ended up selling the car and riding back with me and he still made it work. And I'm glad he did. And, you know, a lot of people listening to this might think that, that doing so and putting forth that effort, especially with the headache and, 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 uh, wrecking your car with a, with a deer, it's, you know, they might be asking if it was really worth it or not. And when it comes down to it, if you really want to do it and, and you live in an area with no wild birds, you you just have to take the chances. You have to take the opportunities. If you get invited, you have to go. I mean, I remember I've done numerous 12, 15 hour one way trips just because I've been invited before. And that is what it is. And, and really, there's no way for somebody to tell you that it is worth it. It's kind of Left up to each individual, of course. And then a guy like Jacob, what I've always appreciated about him is he's just just truly out there to go hunting with his dog. He's up to a challenge. He's up to making it work, you know, as you heard in this episode from budgeting and camping in the back of his truck and just kind of makeshifting a bed and uh, out of a couple cheap little foam mattress or pads from the local store. It's just that that's why I like traveling and, and hunting with guys like Jacob. He's just truly in it to to actually go hunting and enjoy his time with his dogs um tig is still unfortunately still having some issues with the uh, porcupine he is still jacob is still pulling some uh quills out of him and and he's dealing with some vets who you know some vets are recommending going in and cutting them open and and getting the rest out while some are still saying to to see if they'll kind of uh fester out and, and pull themselves out and so jacob's kind of in that damned if you do, damned if you don't situation and, and not knowing what to do. So, it, you know, it just, it, porcupines are part of the equation. They're out there in the woods. It is what it is, especially if you have, you know, I know the German dogs kind of get beat up on this point, but, you know, it, it's, it's a stereotype that has some element of truth to it. I mean, let's just, let's just be real and honest with each other. Now, there are some English dogs and, and other breeds that will get into it. And, you know, you don't have to just be have a German dog to have to deal with a porcupine issue. But Tig really made it count. If you guys hadn't seen the, the post I made a couple weeks ago on, on Instagram, that was the picture that I took after 
we removed quite a bit of quills. So he definitely made it count, but it is a, it's a lingering issue. And that's why, you know, some, some guys will get hit or some, some dogs will get hit and the owners will just sit there and pull it out, pull them out. And then the dogs back out hunting immediately afterwards. I mean, there's some kind of lesser interactions with porcupines that that's really all it takes for a dog to learn its lesson. But then there's other cases such as this to where, you know, Tig, uh, he made it count and it's, it's still bothering him and there's still some concern. So hopefully knock on wood, Jacob and Tig kind of get through this and, Tig, uh, while, while mentally he seems fine physically, you know, Jacob said that he's still just fine and, and pulling quills out constantly every single day. So it is what it is. If you do have an interaction with a porcupine, make sure you get all of them because they will travel. Plenty of dogs have had issues months down the road, not, not just days or even hours. So, uh, you know, just if your dog gets hit, you know, be prepared with the forceps, the pliers, the, the jig, as we described in this episode, you know, all of that stuff helps. But if you have any kind of doubt or question or concern whatsoever, you know, don't, don't go on Facebook asking, you know, should I, or should I not go to the vet? You know, if you have an actual question and it's that bad to kind of give you uh, a pause for concern, then you just you just need to go in and see your vet and that that's pretty much all the advice i can give you on that with that being said i'm going to wrap this up i appreciate everybody for tuning in and hitting download and play as always if you don't mind share it with a friend it goes a long way it truly does if you haven't followed us on social media or youtube by all means go search under gundog yourself the links in the show note as well i appreciate it as always and we'll be back soon with another episode of gdiy thanks guys Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.